Awesome. Good. Well, we are going to be, uh, as we said, and as we've just read, carrying on uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 8 today, and we're going to get straight into it. So right at the outset of these verses that we're going to read today, Solomon comes back to one of his favorite themes, this idea of wisdom and the wise man uh, and what difference wisdom makes. And so in the opening verse, we read this. He says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Now, this opening point in this section of the the book from King Solomon about wisdom. For Solomon, wisdom isn't like a a kind of accumulation of knowledge. Uh, It's not even just about knowing the right thing to do in any given situation. But for Solomon, wisdom, true wisdom, is actually about accepting God. Accepting God as sovereign, trusting God, and wanting to live in obedience to him. So wisdom, as far as Solomon's concerned, is all about knowing God and living in relationship with God. And that, Solomon says here, changes everything, right? He says when you have that kind of wisdom, when you know God, when you're living in relationship with him, when you surrender your life to him, when you recognize him as sovereign and you say, God, I want to submit to your will and your ways, Solomon says it it does something to you. It, It causes your face to shine. The hardness of your face is changed. And I think he's right. I think he's right. See, I think when you allow the goodness and grace of God towards you, the fact that the creator of all things wants relationship with you and has done everything necessary to make that possible. I think when you allow that to dawn on you and to sink in, it changes your demeanor. Or it should do. I think when you recognize and delight yourself in the fact that your sins aren't counted against you, but that they're forgiven in Christ Jesus. When you allow yourself to think about the fact that for all eternity, if you hope in Christ Jesus, you get to be in the presence of God, where there'll be no suffering, no sickness, no pain, no heartache, no sorrow, but perfect peace and joy everlasting. I think that changes something because it lifts a weight off. Yeah? It changes your perspective. It changes your approach to life. And I'm sure you've probably seen this with other Christians. Even if maybe sometimes you feel like you don't recognize it in yourself, I'm sure you can see it in others. How they engage with people, how they spend their time. One of my favorites is hearing how people pray. People who have this perspective, people who are living lives surrendered to God, recognizing that he is good and that their hope is in him and him alone, it changes the way they pray. And often, I think, you might recognize this. I know Eileen, you know, your mum is unwell at the moment. We think she's probably not got long 
left, but I know you spent a lot of time with her these last weeks, praying with her uh, and, and reading bits of scripture together. Um, and I've and I'm sure you've seen some of this in her. Even so close to the end, there's just this peace because she knows that her future is certain, that her eternity is secure in Christ. And, and it, it changes things. Uh, and as people walk with God over a number of years, I think you see them change in this way. There's a guy called Terry Virgo, who some of you may have heard of. Uh, he started... Uh, New Frontiers, which is the, the kind of wider movement or family of churches that we belong to. And like, I've had the privilege of spending some time with him at different points in, in groups of leaders to pray. And there's just this amazing joy and peace that just kind of exudes out of him. Through, and it's not just because he's a chirpy guy, it's because he's spent these years walking closely with God. It's the kind of wisdom that Solomon writes about here, the perspective that comes from knowing God that changes even your face. I know many of us would know Ian and Mary Bissett. Again, I think there are a couple for me who when you spend time with them, there's just this kind of gentle joy and peace that just flows out of them through this. I think it's something we grow in, but I also think you sometimes see it make an instant difference in people. I don't know whether you've ever seen that. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, it's just like this kind of instantaneous change in their demeanor. There's one guy who I'll never forget uh, called Nick, and he came to an event. Uh, it was when Jenny and I were at a church in Southampton, and we were helping run this event in one of the parks in town where we, were, we pitched a marquee in town, and we were inviting anyone who wanted to come in uh, to come and, and hear the gospel. And we had people preaching and praying for the sick, and this guy, Nick, came in, uh, and he was grumpy. Like, I don't think he'd mind me telling you that. He was grumpy, right? He just, he'd had a rough life and his face showed it. And he heard the good news about Jesus and he responded. Uh, and we, we prayed with him about some things, particularly at the end of that meeting. And it, the change in him was phenomenal. It's just like this instant, it's like this burden lifted off him and the, the kind of anger and the grumpiness that was there, that, that just so kind of flowed out of him before, went. And he just had this incredible smile on his face. Um, and it, it doesn't happen just like that for everyone. But it does sometimes. We sometimes see it instantly. It was awesome. Maybe you've seen it in other ways. Or maybe you just think I'm making it up. Well, don't just take my word for it or King Solomon's, uh, <laughs> that those who hope in God are changed. How about this from a, a writer called Matthew Paris? Some of you may have read some of his writings. He's a, a fairly well-written journalist. He wrote this some years ago in The Times, uh, writing as a convinced atheist and he titled his article, Why I Truly Believe, as an Atheist, That Africa Needs God. And you think, what? I mean, just bizarre. But he wrote about an experience uh, of 
traveling around Malawi and observing the difference between secular humanitarian charities who were working with uh, villagers in Malawi uh, and Christian charities who were working with them. And he wrote this. He said, Their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world. Wherever we entered a territory worked by Christian missionaries, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to. Something in their eyes. Isn't that remarkable? Matthew Paris an atheist. And he, he kind of writes in this article that it, it kind of challenged his disbelief in God as he saw, even on the faces of the people who'd been engaging with these Christian missionaries and the Christian missionaries themselves, a difference in their demeanour. As Solomon writes, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Maybe the joy and wisdom of knowing God has, has grown dull for you. I think it, that can happen over time. Sometimes we, our eyes drift and instead of delighting in him and gazing on him and allowing his goodness to make a difference in our hearts and our lives and on our faces, instead we can just get bogged down in the stuff of life. Our gaze slips I want to encourage you today to turn to him again, to look to him again, to remind yourself of his goodness and grace towards you and to let it do you good. We're going to read on because Solomon wants to say something now to those people who have that kind of wisdom. He wants to say, having wisdom that comes from knowing God, you should also submit to God. We carry on from verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. Who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Now, there are multiple ways that we can approach this section. Uh, and I think they, they're, <laughs> like there are kind of a couple of very valid um, readings of this little section. Uh, and some would say this is just about how we respond to human authority. It is just about how we respond to the king or to the government or to uh, the, the boss at work. That is what Solomon's referring to here. Saying, you know, God puts rulers in places of authority and the Bible instructs us to obey them, to submit to them. And it does. The Bible does say we should do that. Jesus himself said we should do that. So long as the ruler and the rule is in line with God's rule. Yeah? So if the government commands you to do something that is directly in con contradiction 
or contravention or in opposition to what God tells you in his word you should do, then at that point, you should obey God and not the government. Now, that's complex, and we're going to talk about it a bit more in a moment. So some people say, you know, this is, this is just about that. And I, I want to say, this is about that. <laughs> but this is about that because this is also about obeying God, who tells us we should obey our earthly rulers, those in authority who he's put there and who he has given authority to. Now, there may be a time, and, and we look at it in here, there may be a time, actually, when we need to stand against those in government or in authority. And Solomon writes here, says, Be not hasty to go from his presence. The walking out of the king's presence would be a very disrespectful thing to do if you had an audience with the king. And doing it hastily would be very disrespectful. He's like, don't be in a hurry to turn your back on authority or to disrespect authority. There's a biblical principle there. We should not rush to disrespecting our government, those in authority over us. But there may be a time when we need to. But this section, I think, for us, maybe has more teeth when we understand, actually, that for Solomon, the rule of the king, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, is synonymous with the rule of God. The king has authority because God has given him that authority and God has made an oath to him. The rule of the king is synonymous with the rule of God and actually, in Israel at the time, also, the king was God's representative to the people in that sense. And now we don't have a government in quite the same way anymore, and neither are we supposed to, but we should obey the rule of law insofar as that rule of law doesn't call for us to live in disobedience to the rule of God because our primary allegiance as Christians, our primary call is to obey the rule of God. And if we keep God's command, Solomon says here, he who keeps a command will know no evil thing. If we keep God's command, when we keep God's command, when we submit to God's authority, we will not stray into evil because we're following the command of God. Now, obviously, the same cannot absolutely, ultimately be said of following the government. There have been many times in human history where governments have required of people something that actually would be evil. So this can't be completely about following human authority. And I think in its fullest sense, it's about submitting to the true king and to the rule of God in our lives. And when we do that, then we won't commit any evil. That does mean, though, and we've got to talk about this, that does mean that there might be times in your life where you're 
obedience to God and your allegiance to Christ might mean disobedience to the state. Now, this is serious, and I don't talk about this lightly. Remember, we just said, don't be hasty to go from his presence. This isn't something you come to quickly. And there is nothing that I am aware of right now that I would say there is a right godly cause for disobedience to the government. Okay? Just to be clear. I'm not advocating that we all disregard all of the laws around COVID because we don't like them. You might not like them. Tough. There's nothing ungodly or unjust about them in that sense, even if you dislike them. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But there may be a time. There may be times when you don't take a job because actually that job may bring a conflict and make it very difficult for you to work out your Christian faith. There'll be relationships over time that you won't enter because of your obedience to God's word. And these are things we've got to wrestle with. They're not things we're very used to wrestling with, I don't think. And that's by and large because we've been very comfortable. We've been very comfortable. And I'm incredibly grateful for the fact that in this country, we're able to get together like this. We can open the Bible. We can read it. We can preach it. We can seek to understand it and apply it in our lives. We can do that together. We can do that anywhere, really. (laughs) It's amazing. There are lots of countries around the world right now where you cannot do that. We have amazing, amazing freedom. About the worst we would get right now is perhaps some mild ridicule from someone who thinks we're stupid for believing what the Bible says. Yeah? That is quite staggering. Because in the world right now, there are countries where you could be imprisoned for proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, to relationship with God. Throughout history, the same. Christians who've been killed for proclaiming Jesus is Lord, for seeking to live in obedience to what God's word teaches. They've faced a stark choice to obey God or obey men, to come under God's rule and authority or people's. I want to encourage you, we're not in that place right now, but I want to encourage you seriously to settle in your heart. Whose authority are you submitted to, first and foremost? If it came to it, whose authority are you submitted to? Do you, first and foremost, want to live in obedience to God's word, under God's rule? Or if persecution came, you think, well... You know, maybe I could probably, like, I could just ignore that bit, and maybe I could just kind of, if I shelve that bit, then I could, maybe, we'd be okay. You need to settle it in your heart, because I think 
all of us in small ways feel a pressure to conform. All of us in small ways feel a pressure to pull back from what God's word teaches, to, to compromise in different ways. And I don't doubt, actually, and this is why I've, I've spent some time on it, I want to be serious about it, because I don't doubt that there may well come a day in this country where to openly proclaim what the Bible teaches may well get us in trouble with the government. To seek to live faithfully in obedience to God's law and to encourage others to do the same will may well put you at odds with the law of the land at some point. It may well do. It might not in your lifetime, in my lifetime. But there are a lot of places around the world where it does already. Do you know, you might not be aware of this, but there's some new hate speech legislation that came out in Scotland recently. The kind of first draft of it uh, came out in August, and it's under review at the moment. Uh, but the, the first draft of it um, was, was pretty serious, and pretty serious for Christians, potentially. It's under review, and it will likely be pulled back a little. But in its original form, it, it said this, that if anyone behaves in an insulting manner, that is a criminal offence and a hate crime. Now, that's, you know, there's some blur in there. Well, what does it mean to behave in an insulting manner? Well, they, they clarified that around speaking against people who are in uh, homosexual relationships or people who uh, were part of the transgender community, if you spoke in any way that could be received by them as disrespectful, then you could be investigated for a hate crime. But it actually went one further than just an act. Because it actually said in the piece of legislation that possession of material that was likely to stir up or cause offence could also be deemed illegal. Well, I think for lots of people in 21st century secular humanist UK... There's a lot of stuff written in the Bible that could well be deemed in a court of law to be stirring up offence to someone. Hmm. The Bible, even because of what is written in it about the exclusivity of Christ, even if you forget anything else about morality but you just... Look at the exclusivity of Christ as the only way to relationship with God, as the only way to be reconciled with God. Well, that in itself is offensive. Well, that's offensive because I don't believe that. I think all roads lead to. It's offensive because you've just said, my long-held beliefs about X or Y or Z are not true. That's offensive to me. See, we're not there yet, okay? We're not there yet. 
but I don't think we're a million miles off. And we need to be aware of that as Christians. And you need to settle in your heart, who is Lord? As we read on, Solomon's keen for us to see that that having wisdom that comes from knowing God, responding to God as Lord and trusting in him and living in obedience from him actually doesn't guarantee us an easy ride. It won't insulate us from suffering or even death. He says this, if we read on from verse 6, he says, There's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? We can't predict the future. Saying, no man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. In other words, every single one of us, we looked at this a few weeks ago together, right? Every single one of us will die. None of us have the power to stop that, ultimately. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. He basically says that if you obey the king or not, (laughs) whether you're under oppression or whether you're oppressing others, you don't know what the future holds. who, Who can tell him? He doesn't know what is to be, and who can tell him how it will be? Well, no one. We don't know the future, except for one certain thing, that there's no escaping death in the end. No man has power over the day of death. And as we talked about a couple of weeks back, that in itself should give us some focus. (laughs) That should sharpen our minds. To think, okay, well, if there's no escaping it, like, what happens then? Like, is that the end? Or is there life after? And is, if there is, how do I inherit that? If there is heaven and there is hell, if those things are real, how do I ensure that I'm going to the one and not the other? It should cause us to think about those things. And as those who are wise, where Solomon started who've put their trust in God, who are seeking to live in obedience to him, who've had their sins forgiven. Well, then actually, the day of death holds no fear because we have an eternal hope that comes from knowing him. Solomon carries on. It says from verse 10, and this is where it gets tricky for us, I think. He says this, he says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also is vanity. 
We looked at this in, in the last few weeks, right? Solomon brings it up again. He says, what do we see? He says, like evil people prospering. There's evil people get what the righteous should have and the righteous seem to get what the evil should have and this is just messed up. But unlike the previous times where Solomon has brought up this theme for us to look at and unlike the last few times when we've looked at it, Solomon introduces something new at this point. And it's so encouraging this time. (laughs) Because I think after just saying to us that trusting in God and seeking to live in obedience to him won't insulate us from suffering, and then he highlights this. And I think the reason he does and the new thing that he introduces, he puts there to say, don't let it drive you to despair when you see that. When you see evil people prospering, when you see injustice when you see the righteous who just seem to be having a rough time of it, don't let it derail you. Don't let it stop you from trusting God and following him. Because in the end, no one gets away with anything. He says in this passage, he says about a sinner who does evil, It will not be well with the wicked. In the end, it's not going to be good for them. It's bad news. But what does he say about those who trust in God? Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. He's like, in the end, ultimately, it might be rough for these years. But in the end, if you trust in God, it will be well. It will be well. But if you reject him and ignore him, it will not be. Now, it's so important that we get this. Because injustice and suffering derails so many people in their faith. I, I'm, I would guess that some of you have observed this yourself. Uh, but I knew good friends with a guy called Jim, who was a Marine. Uh, and he had seen huge, horrific atrocities serving in the military. He spent time in Kosovo, uh, and he, they'd, they'd been through a village uh, and, and kind of trying to win the hearts and minds of the people there and doing good stuff there, and they, they moved on. And they came back through a short time later, um, and this village had just been burned to the ground. Uh, including all the people who lived there. And for Jim, that was the point at which he went, I can't believe in God anymore. Suffering derailed him. The, 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 what appeared to him as wicked people prospering and, and being allowed to perpetrate evil and seemingly get away with it was just too much for him. It derailed him. The questions of suffering and injustice genuinely are hard to work through. They really are. And actually, it's not just out there. You see, Solomon observes in this passage uh, that it happens in the church. So in the temple, he says this. 
I saw the wicked who were buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. They were praised. Had a great reception in the church. But they're not all they seem. Tragically, we've all seen this too, right? People in the church who've hurt, abused others. Probably some of you have even read it in the news this week. Sometimes the the scandals and cover-ups only seem to come out after someone's died. And you think, it feels almost like they got away with it. Like they, they got away with it. Even your heroes might let you down. This hurts. But Solomon knows that faced with this kind of suffering and injustice, we could be tempted to give up. And so he doesn't want to let injustice derail us. And so he reminds us here that in the end, no one gets away with it. He wants us to know that. As though, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, it's like we might look at it and we're like, they're still doing it and they're still getting away with it. And how can that be right? He says that in the end, it won't be good for them. And knowing that, knowing that, Solomon then gives us in conclusion, a surprising recommendation. It's, it's slightly unusual. So after talking about injustice and suffering, and then giving us this glimmer of hope that, that in the end it, it will be made right, that in the end those who do evil won't get away with it, that they will be held to account by God for what they have done, and those who hope in him will not be put to shame, Solomon gives us a a surprising recommendation. He says this in verse 15, And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go well with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Solomon says, Get some food, get some friends together, and thank God for his provision, and be joyful in what he's given you. It's like, enjoy God. Delight in God. Rejoice in what he's given you. Remind yourself with with food and friendship. Remind yourself of his goodness and his mercy and his kindness towards you. Let the, the good news of the gospel sink deep into your heart and do you good. Forgive and seek forgiveness. Guard your heart against bitterness and rest in God. Rest in God knowing that in the end, justice will be done. This this point that in the end no one gets away with anything is like the, the nugget that we hold on to in this passage that changes everything for us. Solomon says, look, trust in God, rest in God. And know that in the end, justice will be done. It might seem like they've got away with it. And you might think, like, you just want to take revenge. You want to, like, put it right. Like, I need to, they need to pay for what they've done. And Solomon wants to say to us, do you know what? 
They will. In the end, justice will be done. So maybe... This is where I wanted to land today. Maybe you've experienced something in your life where someone's done something to you, has sinned against you in a way that has knocked you off course. And it's caused you to question the goodness of God. And it's also begun to just chew you up a bit. Like, it kind of preoccupies your thoughts. Like how you could kind of get back at them. That they seem to, they just seem to have got away with it. How could they? They did that to me and they seem to have just got away with it. That's not right. I want to encourage you today. We're going to take communion in a moment. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, to remember this. Right, to take responsibility for your part if you have a part in it. Right, most of the time, when there's something between us and someone else, like we're not entirely innocent. Sometimes you are, but not always, often not. I want to encourage you to own your part, to repent. And ask God for forgiveness for your part. To do what you can to walk in obedience to the king. To ask for forgiveness. If necessary, even though that might be very difficult, potentially, if appropriate, even ask them for forgiveness. Apologise where you need to. Don't seek revenge where you've been wronged. Trust it to God. Don't keep holding on to it anymore. But trust God. That in the end, no one gets away with anything. And that's because either it's been dealt with by Jesus at the cross, just like your sin, or it will be dealt with when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. See, this is the great hope that we have, is that that sin that we've committed or sin against you has either been dealt with by Jesus at the cross Or Jesus will deal with it when he returns to judge the living and the dead. And so Solomon wants to encourage you to know that, to put it in God's hands, and to trust him with it. And letting go of it and trusting him, he wants to encourage you to get some food, to gather with some friends, and rejoice in the goodness of God. Joe, I wonder if you could come uh, and lead us uh, in, in one last song. As Joe and Jaden come and lead us in this song, I want you to just reflect on these words. And I want you to, to actively take hurt that you're holding on to and to give it to God and say, God, I, I trust you. I don't understand why that happened. I don't understand why I had to go through that, why that happened. And I know that justice might never happen in this life before my eyes, but I trust you that in the end, no one gets away with anything, and I trust you to judge justly in the end.